Grow Up. So we are in the middle of our Grow Up series. We looked two weeks ago at what it looks like to live in community as a local body as we grow up to look more like Christ. And uh, last week we looked at what does it look like to serve one another? And we used Jesus as our primary um, um, example of what it looks like to serve someone like Jesus would. So this week, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. You're welcome to follow along on the screen. Use the NIV in the pews or any other versions that you have. I just wanted to let you know what I will be preaching from. So just to give you a little bit of context here, we are jumping into this letter from Paul to Timothy. This is towards the end of Paul's life, and he is giving Timothy some final wisdom. And the context of what Paul has been talking to Timothy about is how to avoid false teachers. This is advice for Timothy as a leader in the church, but this is also advice for everyone in the church. The church was still very was still very young at this time. And so it would have been very easy to get swept by false teachers who just were able to slide in just a little bit of truth into it. And so he is pointing Timothy to the ultimate source for him to hold on to as he avoids false teachers. We, we see Paul explicitly telling Timothy what to look out for. This is a sort of a spiritual parenting um, opportunity for Paul, which is a perfect passage for us to hop into as we're talking about growing up and looking more like Christ. When we think about growing up and, and, and what we tell children to watch out for, we have to be explicit because children don't inherently know to watch out for some things. And so we have to be explicit, right? So we have to explicitly tell a child, hey, make sure that you don't go anywhere with a stranger um, alone. Make sure that you explicitly explain plans um, ahead of time so that if somebody walks up and says, hey, your parents said this was okay, they can recall the instructions they were explicitly given by their parents beforehand. And so this is Paul doing some spiritual parenting to Timothy here. And so he closes all of this spiritual parenting advice with the ultimate thing that we are to place our trust in. And that's where we hop in in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you, you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this is a really cool passage, and it immediately made me think of when I was in my undergraduate um, at LSU, we were studying how to lesson plan. I was a kinesiology major with a focus in education. And so as we're looking at lesson planning and, and how do we want to approach 
this topic? How do we want to make sure that the students that we're teaching actually walk away with what we want them to walk away with. And so we talked about something called Bloom's Taxonomy, which basically breaks learning up into three areas. First area would be the cognitive area or the knowledge area. Second area would be the affective domain or the affective domain because it is effective with an A. Somebody after this service can explain to me exactly what effective and affective are not the same as. I don't really understand it just yet, but this is the affective area. And so that is looking at your emotions and your feelings and attitudes about a particular subject, thing, or topic. And then the last area would be the psychomotor area. This is the more practical, the more concrete. This is where we see results um, a lot of times. And so this is what are you doing with the knowledge that you have acquired here? And so the important thing about these three areas is that if you just focus on one and neglect the other two, you may have really imparted some great knowledge to a student but they have no confidence in it. And that makes them even less likely to apply it later. And so all three areas are so important to be addressed here. And Paul is pointing to scripture here. This is a scripture passage about scripture. And so I thought these three areas that teach teachers how to teach would be a perfect way to kind of break this down. And so uh, we're going to look at this passage, looking at those three areas here. And so we're going to look at what desiring the Word of God looks like, and then we're going to look at why we should even desire the Word of God at all. So let's look at this first area, cognitive domain or the knowledge or the facts domain. This is a slightly more objective domain here. And the first thing I want us to look at in this passage is that we desire the word of God because the word is foundational. The word is foundational. Paul begins this letter in chapter one, expressing gratitude for Timothy's mother and grandmother who have imparted this, these spiritual concepts, this spiritual knowledge, this knowledge of the ancient texts, which would have been the Old Testament. They have intentionally laid these spiritual foundations for Timothy. And based on that, he is able to build on that in all of his future ministry. And so Paul is expressing gratitude for these two ladies in his life who took the time to intentionally lay those foundations. Now, when I think about foundations, I think about buildings, I think about houses and structures and things like that. And we build things a little bit differently here in South Louisiana because there's not a lot of rock that we can build on, right? And so we see these piles being driven. If you've ever been close to a construction project, I bet your house really understands what pile driving is like. And so there's all these piles being driven. We lay the slab, we build the house on top of that. Very easy, right? No one expects the house to be built and then wonders where the foundation is, right? That would be ridiculous. But sometimes we leave the foundation behind in our spiritual journeys, we build this house and then we wonder why it is not holding up when life gets a little shaky, when we have not taken the time to lay that 
foundation. Anybody who has a relationship with Jesus in this room or who has ever been exposed to scripture can trace that exposure back to a person who intentionally exposed you to it. The thing about spiritual foundations are that that it does not happen by osmosis. A lot of times we're like, if we can just get close enough to the word, or if we can just get close enough to somebody who has a strong spiritual foundation, it'll just seep into us. I'm sorry, but whoever's next to you um, in the pew, if they have a strong spiritual foundation laid, that doesn't just creep over to you. So maybe switch seats next week or something, but that just isn't how it works. If it was, my study halls would have been much more productive with algebra because there was a lot of this happening. And so it just, it does not happen that way, but we treat it that way a lot. Spiritual foundations are also not genetic. It's not a, it's not a dominant gene. It's not a recessive gene. It is something that is intentionally a choice made by one person exposing somebody to scripture, to truth. Kids, you don't inherently get spiritual foundations because of parents who have strong spiritual foundations. I wish that was the case. Parents, other adults in the room, it takes intentional laying of spiritual foundations for those foundations to be laid. A lot of times we treat the church like a spiritual tanning bed. We come in for an hour each week. We get our base tan and we head out for the week and we're good to go. We look good. We're good. We come back. We get that layer laid again and we go. That is not what our spiritual Christian journey is supposed to look like. We should be in the word each and every day so that when we come and worship together and learn together, whether it's in here or in small groups or whether it's in a breakfast group or whatever, you're building on something that's already been laid. This is not the, this is not the time for passive laying of the foundations. Foundations over the centuries have been laid in future believers by intentionality of more mature Christians driving spiritual piles, laying biblical concrete, because that doesn't happen passively. That is an active, intentional thing that happens. And that is how the church grows. And that is why the local church is so important, because we want to lay those foundations both in large, small, and even smaller groups. Now, it's critical that we don't just look at laying the foundation because we could get so bogged down in gaining knowledge and learning facts and memorizing scripture, all which are great things on their own. But if we leave them on their own, Paul says that we become puffed up with knowledge. I like to think of it more as becoming cognitively obese, right? We, we soak up so much knowledge that we become puffed up with the facts and the knowledge and the law, that we are not having it make any, any distinct impact on our lives. Don't become cognitively obese. Don't become so puffed up with gaining knowledge that there's no change in attitude, no change in action. That is not what we want here. 
This cognitive area, it is so important, but when left alone, you're leaving two very important areas by themselves and unaddressed. So let's look at this, let's look at this other area here. In the church, we desire the word because it is foundational, and we desire the word also because it is not typical. This is the affective domain, the feelings, the attitudes, the behaviors when it comes to the word are not typical behaviors. It goes against the flow of where our basic human nature would typically take us, where our feelings and emotion would typically lead us. Now, when I was in high school, I was uh, probably a junior at this time, hadn't been driving all that long, but a uh, family friend, uh, Dr. Benji Harlan, who was a professor um, at the seminary, and, uh, and uh, he has served as um, an interim music here in the past, um, he asked uh, me to uh, hop in his car, and he was going to drive a budget truck to Pensacola, Florida. And uh, I was going to follow him. He was going to drop the truck off, and then I was going to drive him back. School had just let out. It was towards the end of May. It was an easy hundred bucks. There was a lunch provided. I was pumped. This is great. So we hop in the car. We head to Pensacola. We drop off the truck. We grab some lunch, got a giant fajita platter. He was very tired. So before we got to the interstate, he was asleep. Now, one thing that you need to know about me, any future sh sh chaperones for any student trips or anything like that, I have a terrible sense of direction. And that's right now. This is high school Trey, right? So, so I have a terrible sense of direction. When it comes to the whole north, south, east, west, as concepts, I love them. Love them. In practice, they don't mean much. Here, we have the whole lakeside, riverside. That helps a little, but as Emily will tell you, it doesn't help a lot. And so I had this kind of policy that I operated with when I was here in the city. If I got on I-10 East, East equals home. So wherever I was in the city, whether it was like Metairie, Uptown, whatever, East equals home. That is not an applicable concept in all situations. So we're in Pensacola, Florida, and we get on the interstate. I hop on I-10 East. My passenger is asleep. No problem. Let's go. 45 minutes later, he wakes up, and he, and he takes notice of the fact that the Tallahassee signs with the mileage are getting smaller. And he says, Trey, are we on I-10 East? I said, yep, ready to head home. And he said, unless you have a house in Tallahassee that you haven't told me about, we need to get on I-10 West and we need to head home. This was a horrible moment for me. I was horrified. This man's paying me. So I offered to give his money back after we head home. He would not take it. This was a very powerful experience for me, obviously. He was here about a month ago. He was playing a piano at a funeral that we hosted here and. The first thing he says when he sees me in the hallway is, hey, Trey, I need a ride to Florida. Can you help me out? So obviously, this has been a very powerful experience for both of us. Now, here's the thing about that. I know conceptually about East and West. I know their opposites. I know where Florida is on a map. I, 
I know that east in Florida equals ocean. I understand. But in practice, I was looking at the sign and I wasn't take and and I wasn't applying the knowledge that it wasn't what was going to take me home in that moment. I-10 East here was a great idea. I-10 East in Florida, terrible. And I needed somebody to look at the, at the exact same sign I was and say, hey, that's a great sign at home, not here. A lot of time in our spiritual journeys, we can be looking at the same passage in Scripture and take it east and west. And sometimes we need somebody to say, east is not where you need to go right now. We have been created for community in a way that we need to be in relationships where people can see us heading east and they can say, you need to go west. If we are not getting that in our small groups on Sunday, maybe that means that there's a smaller group that you need to get coffee or breakfast with. But either way, we need to be in community with each other, but not just talking about saints and LSU, which are great topics. But, come on. But we need to be in groups that are centered around the Word. The Word is foundational. The Word is not typical. And the word is complete. That takes us to the last area, the psychomotor domain. This is where we get a little tripped up sometimes because this is a very results-focused area. This is where you see tangible results. I was a PE major, so when you're looking at results, can the student throw the ball successfully eight out of ten times? Very easy to measure. And a lot of times we get so tripped up on the results of this area that we get stuck. We get stuck in the results. We get stuck in the actions, and that is not where we want to be. In, verse, in uh, verses 16 and 17, Paul closes by um, saying that Scripture is finally useful for training in righteousness, making the person who uses the word in all of these ways, complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we love the word complete. We love the word finished. We love the word equipped. We like those words, right? And we want to, we want to end up at a point where we are equipped, where we are complete. But I do want to go ahead and do a quick... Uh, myth busters here of... The idea that there is some level of righteousness, there is some level of perfection, some level of being complete here on earth that we will eventually reach and then we're through, that's a lie. We are constantly, constantly being made to look more and more like Jesus. That act is eventually made complete when we are with him. But while we're here, that, that is not a complete thing. That is an ongoing process. And while we can look more and more like Jesus on earth, it's not going to be what you think it is a lot of the time. So that is a constant struggle that we have. And so when we look at these words, complete, equipped, fully trained, let's look back at Jesus and see what he has to say about what it means to be complete, equipped. And um, in Luke chapter 6, verses 40 through 45, he explains it 
to the, to the, to the 12. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. When we strive for fruit without tending to the health of the tree, a lot of times, we run into trouble. Why is that? Because Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And a lot of times we get that a little mixed up. We want to be the vine and the branch. I'm contributing to my own health. Or we want somebody else's branch to contribute to our health when really it is our connection to Jesus that is the most important. When we are connected through his word, when we are connected to truth, then our branch should be healthy. But a lot of times we get into branch watching mode and we start watching other people's branches and it's like, ooh, that fruit, not a very good harvest over there. Oh man, why is that fruit so big? What, what is wrong with my branch? A lot of times it's that your branch is not connected to the vine in the way that it should be. We should be connected to the vine in the healthiest way possible, not looking around at other people's branches. A tree is known by its fruit, not by the fruit of the tree next to it. A lot of times we love being a part of a community that does great things, that is doing great things for the kingdom, that is letting the Lord work through them. And sometimes even just being a part of a group that is doing great things, but we are maybe not actually taking part in that can be enough for us. We check that box. I have some friends who do some great things on Tuesdays. I have some friends who do some really good things on Wednesdays and Sundays or whatever it looks like. But how is that fruit manifesting in your life? We are not known by the fruit of the branch next to us. We are known by the fruit of our branch. Bad trees do not bear good fruit. Good trees do not bear bad fruit. Now, we could also err on the wrong side of things by letting ourselves get so driven by results and so driven by action that we're neglecting the, the cognitive area, that we're neglecting the, the affective area, that we are not working on our attitudes, we are not working on our knowledge, but we have strictly joined this legalistic, we are going to uphold every facet of the law and we start worshiping the law. 
And that is not where we want to end up. On the other end, for affective, we also do not want to end up on the end where we are worshiping emotions. How do I feel in this moment? How does this passage make me feel right now? Sometimes it's not good, and that's okay. Sometimes it won't all be warm and fuzzy. Sometimes the Lord is going to do some work that is uncomfortable in us. But if we are swinging with emotions or driven by this need to uphold the law for the sake of the law, then we have missed the point entirely. So it would be very, very good for all of us to read this passage and take pieces of it and apply it to our lives. Positive things would happen. We increase our knowledge and understanding of the word, great. We improve our attitudes and um, emotions and responses towards the, toward the word, awesome. We improve the amount of actions that we do that, that reflect what we say we believe, also awesome. But when you pick one or two and not all of them, we've missed the point. The word is complete. When we let the word do a work in our lives, we are allowing the word to work in a complete way. Don't pick and choose how you want the Lord to work in your life. Paul is advocating for this holistic brand of Christianity. We're not just Christians on Sundays. We're not just Christians on Wednesdays. We're not just really good studiers of the word in small group. That applies to all of our lives. And sometimes we can do the most damage by just picking one thing or one aspect of our life or one day of the week and applying God's word on Sundays and then leaving Monday through Saturday and it does not reflect what we said on Sunday. Sometimes it can do worse damage than if we had never made the claim at all. So if you have influence over a non-believer, or if you have children who you are working to pour that spiritual concrete into, make sure that it doesn't just happen on Sundays. Make sure that it's not just Wednesdays when your actions reflect your belief in the truth of Scripture. Make sure that that is holistic. That is impacting every facet of your life. The church exists to strive as individuals and both as a body to create opportunities to grow in our desire and our love of Scripture. Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When we are laying the foundation for others, when we are strengthening the foundation of our own spiritual walk, when we are paying attention to what the Word is telling us about our lives, we're in the right place. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. 
if I was iron being sharpened, would probably be uncomfortable, but it's where we want to be. We don't want to become dull blades for truth. When we know the word, we should love the word. And if both of those things are true, then we should do what it says. And as a church, all of those things happen together. It doesn't happen in a silo. It doesn't happen solo. It happens together. That's why First Baptist exists. That's why other churches all across the world exist as local bodies of the larger capital C church. Because that is why we are here. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have created us for relationships. I thank you that this room is representative of so many relationships that are centered on your word. I thank you that, that you allow us to come in and be vulnerable and be imperfect people who are growing to look more like you, who desire to grow up into the likeness of Jesus. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that First Baptist has been a focal point for scripture-centered community for so long. I pray that we as a church would continue to challenge each other and that that would overflow into the city, whether it's a care effect site, our workplace, our small group, a coffee shop, wherever it is, God, I pray that all of that would be an overflow of the heart of your people in your church acting obediently. I pray for anybody in this room who you are working on their hearts through your word. God, I pray that you would just continue to just soften our hearts to you. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.